Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to the podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today, we seek to study Psalm 64. Psalm 64. And I will read this psalm from the New American Standard Bible. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They have aimed bitter speech as their arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who can see them? They devise injustices, saying, We are ready with a well-conceived plan, for the inward thoughts and the heart of man are deep. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded, so he will make them Make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their the head. Then all men will fear, and they will declare the work of God, and will consider what he has done. The righteous man will be glad in the Lord, and will take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory. Psalm 63 focused on God, and the enemy makes an appearance at the end. But the enemy is front and center in Psalm 64. But we still see the same conclusion. God gives victory to his servant. A brief outline is that verses 1 and 2 describe a prayer for help to God. Verses 3 through 6 give a description of the enemy who is fighting against David, fighting against the psalmist. And then in verses 7 through 10, a faith in God that matters will be put to rest, that matters will be made right, I should say. There are all kinds of word plays in this psalm. And I hope that I can adequately convey this. But hear my complaint. Hear my voice in complaint. Oh, my God. It is a plea for God to hear. All David asks of God is that God hear him and that God hide him. And we see that in these first two verses. Hear my voice in my complaint, and preserve me from the dread of the enemy. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. This particular word dread often speaks of a particularly horrifying fear, sometimes a fear that God sent upon the opponents of Israel to paralyze and immobilize them. Exodus 15:16 is an example of the use of this word, as is 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 14. But here David asked to be delivered from this, preserve my life from the dread of the enemy and hide me 
Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers. Now, one of the things that helped me to appreciate this word hide is to see a couple of other times it's used in Scripture. Do you remember in 2 Kings 11 and in 2 Chronicles 22, the Bible tells the story of how Athaliah tried to seize the throne of Judah, and she sought to kill all those who were descendants of David. But the Bible tells us that they hid Joash, who was only a child of one at the time. They hid him, 2 Kings 11.2 and 2 Chronicles 22.11. And just as the baby Joash was hidden, So David asked God to hide him. Same word. This same word is also used in Jeremiah 36, verse 19 and verse 26. And there, Jeremiah had put down all God's warnings, and they were read before Jehoiakim the king. And Jehoiakim sought to kill Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch, but the Lord hid them. And just as the Lord hid Jeremiah and Baruch, David asked God to hide him. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy and hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. But verses 3 through 6 give a fuller description of the enemy. As it describes the enemy, you notice that the number one tool in their arsenal is their speech. The text tells us they sharpen their tongues like a sword. Their tongue is like a sword, and their bitter speech are like arrows, in verse 3. And their purpose is to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Now, the words translated from concealment in the New American Standard Bible in 64 verse 4, it is a, it is the same root word used in verse 2 when David said, hide me from the counsel of evildoers. David is asking God to hide him from the wicked and their plans in verse 2, but in verse 4, they shoot from concealment at the blameless. When the wicked is shooting at the righteous, he thinks he is hidden. He thinks he is concealed. But we'll find later that he is not concealed, that God will expose him and his sins. They shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly, they shoot at him, and they do not fear. They're not afraid of the consequences, for they are confident that no one will call them to account for their wicked deeds. In verse 5, they hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They hold fast. They strengthen themselves. They harden themselves in this evil 
purpose. And the text says in verse 5, they talk of laying snares secretly, and they say, who can see them? Much as verse 4 tells us they do not fear, now they are defiantly asking in verse 5, who can see them? Who can see them? Who can witness? Who, 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 who has seen their evil deeds? Snares sometimes refers to traps uh, that were laid for birds that were almost impossible to detect. And these characters, as they oppose David and oppose other righteous people, think they are laying snares that will never be seen and no one can call them to account. In verse 4, they devise injustices, saying we are ready with a well-conceived plan, for the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. They plan injustices. They devise injustices. Now again, I want to explain what I'm about to say clearly. In verse 6, the New American Standard has, we are ready. Now, this is actually a verb. It's one word that's translated, we are ready. It is the verb form of the word translated blameless in verse 4. In verse 4, the wicked were shooting at the blameless. In verse 6, this is in the discussion of the wicked as they think they have the blameless plan, the perfect plan, the perfect crime, we might say. While they think they may have the perfect crime, God sees them shooting at the blameless person, at the perfect person. Verses 7 through 10 describe God's dramatic intervention. And I want you to see how much of this language picks up on ideas previously introduced in the psalm. In verse 7, God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded. The word shoot and arrow are used back in verses 3 and 4. The word shoot, a form of it, was used three times in verse 4. The reference to bitter speech as their arrow in verse 3. The word suddenly used in verse 7 is also used in verse 4. In other words, these who are shooting their bitter arrows at the blameless, now God is going to shoot at them. And who do you think? is the better archer. Suddenly, the wicked will be wounded. Suddenly, they will be brought down. And the text tells us in verse 8, they will make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their head. In verse 3, the wicked had sharpened their tongue, but now we find in verse 8 that God is going to use their own tongue against them. They have shot arrows at the righteous, 
and God will shoot at them. They have used their tongue as a sword against the righteous, and God will turn their tongue against them. We might call this lex talionis, where the punishment fits the crime. And remember back in verse 5, as these wicked people had defiantly asked, who can see them? But now we're told in verse 8 that all who see them will shake their head. Shake their head. The idea seems to be that they are viewed with derision. It's the same kind of use of shaking the head in Psalm 22, verse 7, in Jeremiah 48, in verse 27. In verse 9, all men will fear. Those in verse 4 who had no fear of God are now the reason that all fear God. For they have witnessed the judgment upon these wicked that all men will fear. And they will declare the work of God. It will lead them to proclaim God's work. Now the word work was used earlier in verse 2. It was translated do to speak of how the evil person does iniquity. He, he, those who do iniquity. So you have some who do iniquity, who work iniquity, but you have God's work in verse 9 in total contrast to the work of the evil. The Bible says the righteous man will see this. He will be glad in the Lord. He will take refuge for him, and the upright will glory. Every time we see God bring judgment on wickedness, it is a reason for us to be glad, to take refuge, and glory in the Lord. What a powerful, powerful psalm. Can you see Jesus in this psalm? From the very first word we see him. Hear my cry. The word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate here in Psalm 64.1, this is the word used in Hebrews 5.7 to say that Jesus offered up strong crying and tears and he was heard. But here in verse 1, David asked to preserve his life or rescue the Septuagint, the Greek translation has. And while God did not rescue Jesus from death, God rescued us through the death of Jesus. Galatians 1, 4 tells us in this same word, this same Greek word used in the Septuagint of Psalm 64, 1, that we're rescued through the death of Jesus. As the enemies plotted and planned against David, they plotted and planned against Jesus in the Gospels. You see it continually, repeatedly, even from early in his ministry. In Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And when he heals a man with the withered hand, they go out and plot his destruction. Mark 3, 1 through 6. 
The Bible speaks of them shooting the blameless in Psalm 64, verse 4. Jesus is described as being blameless in Hebrews 9, 14, and in 1 Peter 1, and verse 19. Hebrews 9, 14, 1 Peter 1, 19. And the Bible tells us the righteous will rejoice in 64.10, Jesus is the ultimate righteous one. Acts 3.14, Acts 7.52, Acts 22, and verse 14. He is the ultimate righteous one, and he is our object of rejoicing and taking refuge and glorying. Jesus experiences the treatment that the innocent person received here. Jesus experiences the, and Jesus is the righteous and blameless person who was shot at, who was a victim in Psalm 64. But I'll tell you something else interesting. Jesus, even in some sense, is identified here with the wicked. In verse 8, all who see these wicked people will shake the head. That's the response to Jesus in Psalm 22, 7, in Matthew 27, verse 39, in Mark 15, verse 29. Jesus died for all. Jesus died for those who would be innocent victims of violence. And he died even for those who perpetuate such crimes. He died for their sins, and he opens for you a door of forgiveness. If you want to know more about being in a right relationship with God, please let us know. We're thrilled you listen to this podcast, and we hope it is encouraging you to more carefully examine the text.